There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix on May the 26th, 2010. Newcomers, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. I always suggest that you bookmark the other sites I've got listed there for future use in case the com goes down, which it does once in a while. And that way you can always get the latest shows for download for free from the alternate sites. Now remember, all these sites have the audios. They all have transcripts for prints up in English of a lot of the shows I've done. But the Alan Watt Sentient, Sentinel.eu site, the European site, also has transcripts, as well as the audios, but the transcripts in the other languages of, of Europe. So you can help yourself there too. And remember where you're at it, purchase the books I have for sale. It teaches you some sort of uh, techniques as you read through them, which you learn by reading them, in fact, of, of how you can think non-linearly. It's round or outside the box, you might say because we're taught to think in a straight sequence. And that's how it's so easy to manage all of us with the media and our brainwashing and our education. So get the books, that keeps me going. And if you want me on the air, that's how you do it. You can also pay by check from the U.S. to Canada, personal check or international postal money order. Um, You can order through PayPal. Most folk are going on PayPal. Now, they'll all be electronic very shortly. And that's what the big bankers want, of course. Uh, to donate or to purchase the books. If you want to purchase a book, send a separate email to me with your name, address, and the order, uh, along with the PayPal donation, and I'll get it out to you. Same across the rest of the world now. Western Union is okay. MoneyGram is okay. Cash is okay so far, and, and until the countries start collapsing over there. And you can also use the PayPal, as I say, to order or donate. And believe you me, donations are really appreciated from the same people who generally do it over and over again out of the many thousands who listen. But that's how life really goes. And lots of folk get the disc burned and passed to them because they're off the computer altogether. Uh, You can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estair, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. Postal code is P as in Peter, the number 3, E for Elizabeth, the number 4, N for Nora, the number 1, P3E4N1. And if you want to get some information from me, write to me. The post service still works, believe it or not. Now, I've often talked about our versions of reality and our training into 
the authorized reality uh, that truly is all pervasive. And it's mandatory, in fact, that we all go along with authorized versions of things. Most folk accept the initial indoctrination. They don't look beyond it. They, they quote the usual quotes they've heard and not read, in fact, but they'll, they'll, they'll actually quote things they've heard and they'll say things like, well, everybody knows, uh, just like they do with the climate warming nonsense. Well, everybody knows, all the ones who are advocating it. Um, and of course, everybody doesn't know. But again, they're using social techniques. We all like to be the same and inclusive, you see. And, and you don't want to be excluded from the group. So they use terminology to its maximum advantage. We'll be back with more on reality after these messages. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, just talking again about reality, because we don't have very much of it. We have a presentation given to us by media at the moment that everything is in chaos and flux. And of course, they want us to believe and think this, because big powerful people, belonging to very big powerful organizations, who run the world, always have, are bringing us into a new phase of uh, a new sort of amalgamation, a conglomerate planet Earth type of deal. And we see that happening in Europe as they go ahead with each plank of their manifesto in the further integration of Europe, for instance. And now, of course, you're, you're not to be allowed to look at your own books. The, the central bank for the European community is to uh, go over your national budgets and all that before the politicians and anybody else does. So uh, that was all a plank of their integration because they always lie to you when they're, bring, they're pulling off big stunts. And they lie at every phase of it, you see. And, and at the moment, the whole world's in it, supposed to be into this chaos. And whatever happens over that side of the planet, like the butterfly effects, when it affects us over here as well. And if they go down, we go down and all this kind of stuff, you see. But it's all based on a racket, of course, which is called money. And I think there's been very few topics that's had so many different books put out about it, and it's called money. Uh, the whole con game that runs the world, and money and debt. I mean, every, every country with its central banking system uh, is based upon fraud, really, because they don't have the, the, anything to back up their, their cash with, really, especially those, even those, even those that still say that they've got a fractional reserve there, meaning a fraction of what they, they should have if they had to put out the real gold or whatever it is they're supposed to be backed with to replace the money. It can't be done. So it's all a con game, and it's based upon loaning money out. Banks make their money off of loaning money out. And I used to be surprised at the socialists, you see, when I was really interested in finding out, well, how did they, what did they think and all the rest of it? And you went to socialism. And, of course, they believed, like the Fabian Society, and you've got to look into the writings of the Fabians. You must do that if you want to understand the real socialist agenda. And they were all financed by big bankers. And you'd think that would be detrimental to them. That's the way it's been presented to the public. Oh, socialism is really communism, and it's detrimental to, to the capitalism, but it's nothing of the kind. So, true socialism, you see, still keeps the banking system, the big banks there, the big boys that own the banks. And they love it because socialists love to borrow money uh, for programs. 
which keeps debt going, and the banks love that kind of stuff. They love debt. They live off debt. That's what their interest means. They've got interest in it, you see. And they've got to get the whole population of a country, now whole countries, involved in paying off not only national debts now, but international debts. You see, for others, other people too, because we're all in it together. That's, that's the whole mantra of war. We're all in it together, you see. So that, that guarantees that further generations are born into a debt system uh, and having to pay back loans from previous generations that existed before them. And when you go into the, the, the history of money, it's just, it truly is fascinating. It truly is fascinating to, to understand that even the Phoenicians in ancient times, uh, were, were financing wars between countries, taking the countries over through debt, and then using those countries for further wars by massive unemployment and so on, and recruiting the youngsters and getting them to go off and fight other countries that hadn't succumbed to their money systems. And they wanted a standardized weight for silver, weight measures for silver. That's what they were doing, standardizing across the whole planet. And they also had an amazing system, very similar to what we see today, because when they, when they went around the coastal areas, eventually they conquered those areas through debt, and they used little factory towns. People worked as slaves to produce all the, all the wares that they then took across the, into other countries for trade and so on. It's a horror story, really. And we find they even had gold mines as far into Russia even, into the, to the Ural Mountains. The Phoenicians owned them. And what they did was always make bargains with different warlords when they wanted to go off and fight. Yeah, we'll loan you the money for your ships and all the rest of it. Or you can rent ours because they had fleets to rent as well. And they, they, um, they always demanded on part payment for their loans uh, so many of the captured soldiers, the defeated enemy, and they used them for slaves. And they, they worked out that if you, they, they went through, uh, I think it was a person would get maybe one ounce of gold and before they died in the mines. That was uh, how fast they, they, they lasted in the mines. Incredible. And uh, this con has gone on for, forever. It's just a con after con after con. And now it's all IOUs, which we call money today. Everything's based on IOUs. And the guy that, o- that owns most of the IOUs can collect interest on IOUs. It's just fantastic and bizarre. And we go along with this because we're trained to. We're trained to. And we have specialists always coming on who are economists and so on, and they tell us how it all works. And, of course, no one understands them because it's based on baloney. Really, it truly is baloney. But getting back to reality again, you know, Keynes... John Maynard Keynes was a big professor who they brought in to bring in this cashless, this, this non, non-gold or silver-backed type system. And you just print money out and sell off the debts. And those who would hold the bonds for that would therefore collect and so on, and so on, and so on, and then trade it amongst themselves. And he, he wanted international socialism. He said this is Bretton Woods. Bretton Woods is what we've lived on up till now with agreements and international trade and all the rest of it. He said that this is only part one. Part two would come maybe in 50 years, which is about now, you see. 
and we'd see the whole implementation of a global structure of socialist control. Socialists are about control through governments from birth to death in a scientifically managed society. That's what it really is. And as I say, the big bankers love socialism because they they go to the banks with a strange Keynesian idea they can borrow money and spend your way out out of depression or recession. It's a complete farce. There's an article here, it's from the American Thinker, it was March 17, 2010. It was talking about the Keynesian fraud. And it says, Keynesian economics is mostly a fraud and always has been. It's got little theoretical basis and no empirical support. In other words, provable support. As I've previously explained, he says, he's got a link to it. He says, our school system has convinced the public that government is the source of most good and can solve all problems. And that's true, isn't it? That's what, that's what most folks, oh, the government should do something about that. Whatever it is, you know, the government should do something. Generations of children have been taught that Franklin Delano Roosevelt saved us from the Great Depression. History textbooks proclaim this, yet Roosevelt's Treasury Secretary clearly contradicted this myth. This is what his secretary said at the time, and that was Henry Morgenthau, who was the Treasury Secretary in May 1939. He says, we've tried spending money. This is right before this the beginning of World War II. That's what got them out of it. Nothing that Roosevelt did. He said, we've tried spending money. We're spending more than we ever spent before, and it does not work. And I have just one interest, and if I am wrong, somebody else can have my job. I want to see this country prosperous. I want to see people get a job. I want to see people get enough to eat. We have never made good on our promises. I say after eight years of this administration, we have just as much unemployment as when we started, and an enormous debt to boot. So you've got a massive debt on top of it with all these make-work projects and so on. And who was Roosevelt anyway? Who put him in? Wall Street put him in, the great socialist, you know. Wall Street bankers put him in. But the myth continues. World War II was what got the countries in the West out of the Depression. War. It's amazing, too. I, I, I never fathomed it. How can you be completely broke and you can suddenly find money to go off to war? The bankers are just so happy to throw money at you then as you go off to war. It's because the bankers also uh, have control over the big corporations that are going to make a massive profit in killing off a war. War is great. Every shell that goes off, every bomb that explodes has to get replaced. Big, big bucks for war, you know. And that's what got everybody out of, uh, of the Great Depression. It didn't last a few years and just disappear. It, it, it went right into the start of World War II. It says, Morgenthau's statement is the equivalent of Ben Bernanke and Tim Geithner stating that everything we have done has done no good. When the architect and manager of the program admits it failed, on what basis can honest historians claim that it was successful? If only current uh, political appointees could be as honest as Morgenthau. But the Keynesian myth is too important and must survive at all costs. And that's true to keep the socialism going. What they, they con the public is, well, you see, we take all this cash, but look at all the services we provide in return. Most of the cash they spend is corporate welfare for international corporations, not on the public. 
says here it's the source of many economists' income and prestige. Keynesian economics is the bedrock supporting the entire myth of expansive government. It's true. Socialism expands government. Britain went into World War II, supposedly as a free country, and came out of it after the government had taken over every department, agriculture, everything, massively expanded. It came out as, as a... They were fighting national socialism, supposedly. They came out as a completely socialist country. Yeah. In Canadian Economics and the Wizard of Oz, Dan Mitchell does an excellent job of exposing what more and more observers believe to be a fraud. Mitchell states, in the ultimate triumph of theory over reality, the Keynesians say all that matters is a macroeconomic model behind the curtain, showing that more government spending leads to more jobs and growth. But then we'll see how they actually get these, these models done. I'll be back with more after this break. Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix, reading an article about the Keynesians and their policies and so on. And it's all bogus, but that's what we've been living on all this time. It's not meant to be understood by ordinary people because it's, if you try to understand it, it's illogical. And of course, you're not supposed to get to that stage. You give up before you get to that stage, you realize it's illogical. And that's how cons work, of course. But it says, in the ultimate triumph of theory, and this is very important, this, the triumph of theory over reality. The Keynesians say all that matters is the macroeconomic model behind the curtain showing that more government spending leads to more jobs and growth. Consider the recent report from the Congressional Budget Office, which claimed that Obama's stimulus created at least one million jobs. Every country does this. You know, every country uses the same nonsense. Yeah, this latest thing created a million jobs. As Brian Riedel of the Heritage Foundation noted, CBO's calculations are not based on actually observing the economy's recent performance. Rather, they are used, they, they used an economic model that was programmed to assume that stimulus spending automatically creates jobs. It's one of these computer models, you see, thus guaranteeing the results. The problem here is obvious. Once CBO decided to assume that every dollar of government spending increases the GDP, its conclusion that the stimulus saved jobs was preordained. It's just like the climate model the computers use. The theory triumphs over fact, you see. He says, but surely this can't be true. You may be thinking, our public servants in Washington would not make important policy decisions based on a model that automatically produces a certain result, would they? Peter Suderman of Reason pulls aside the curtain. He says, those reports rely on assumption-packed models that effectively predetermine their outcomes. What they say, in essence, is that the stimulus worked because we assume it did. And that's it. That's good enough, you know. Hypothesis in the, in the physical sciences can be more reasonably tri- uh, tested uh, when you're testing and dissecting things and so on. It says here data have validity because experiments are repeatable. Yet even in the purest of sciences, political influence can corrupt. The modification of data to support the global warming scam is recent evidence of that. And by the way, I'll put a link up to show you that in action because Lord Monckton won uh, the debates uh, in the Oxford Debating Society, the, the Union, uh, on global warming farce. He, he won the debates. That's one of the top debating societies on the planet. And again, all the, all the stuff that they're using and all these different guys who are 
cashing in on it, all these agencies that are making their money off global warming scam, uh, use the models. They support all the models and all the theories, but not the facts. Since economics is a complex behavioral science, like all behavioral sciences, it's difficult to use data to support or refute hypotheses. Which, a hypothesis is a guess, by the way, folks. Compounding this problem is a political influence on any investigation. Ideology of either the researcher or the grant provider easily influences conclusions. Well, you know that from the pharma industry. All the exposés have had and the guys who are guaranteed to give them good results on whatever they test. Who's paying you? That's who you please. The, behavior, the behavioral sciences offer great opportunity to fudge conclusions. Rent and economists are available f- who will provide whatever conclusion you want, including the absurdity that raising the minimum wage increases employment at the lowest wage levels. President Dwight Eisenhower issued an omniscient warning in his farewell address that pertains to all research. And it's a very, very important little statement. And some of these guys, even though they talk um, from both sides of their mouths often, will say some really, really profound truths, which they all know themselves, of course. It says, the prospect of domination of the nation's scholars, academia and so on, right? The domination of the nation's scholars by federal employment, project allocations, that's grants, by the way. They all live off, all these scientists and so on live off the grants. And the power of money is ever-present and is gravely to be regarded. Simple little statement, but so important to understand. This prospect of domination. Now, who's, who's about dominating whom? Dominating all of you, whole countries. The domination of the nation's scholars by federal employment, project allocations, and the power of money is ever-present and is gravely to be regarded. Any economist who works for the government must compromise his integrity. He becomes part of a political team with political goals. And by the way, that, that also pertains to when you go into medicine as well and bring national health services in. Now you've got political goals. That's been proven in countries like Britain. Either he has his scientific integrity or it must go when it conflicts with these goals. Milton Friedman recognized this conflict and never would accept a government policy position or result. He always felt his advice could be more helpful if it were freely given and not subject to a particular administration's goals. It's a pity that so many second-rate economists face fame and fortune by becoming political hacks and lackeys. And, and that's so, so very, very, very true, isn't it? Everything again gets back to what? Money and paychecks and grants. And academia, they live off it. it. Academia are bought and sold. The characters within are bought and sold for bags of gold or paper substitutes. And that's how the world really works. And they come out and help their masters dominate the public and the minds of the public and help to try and validate all the crazy uh, policies they introduce to tax you more and more and take more and more rights away from you and to explain in a very sophisticated manner that most folk can't follow why it must be so. That's the reality of it all, you see. So myths persist, and it will still persist, and youngsters will still get taught in school. After they're taught that George Washington could not tell a lie, then they'll also be taught that the Keynes helped save us with the Bretton Woods Agreement and FDR pulled us out of the Depression, not World War II. Back with more after these messages.
are listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the Matrix. Last night after the show, I was... I was, do, I was doing something I, I sometimes indulge in. It's an odd habit, but, but I sat and thought a bit, you know, about things. I was thinking. I do that sometimes. And if you want to try it, you should, it takes a bit of patience because you're used to getting so much stimulation from electronic sources and noises and so on, and sounds coming in your ears from devices and all that kind of stuff, that you don't do much thinking. And even with the written word now in the mainstream media, they hype us into a stampede. We're not supposed to stop and think about anything. But I've got this odd, odd characteristic. I, I do sit back once in a while and I think. And I was thinking last night to myself, you know, we really are in the dark about things. The whole intention of hyping up fear and crisis, my God, uh, is, to, is to make you turn towards the very politicians that have been put in place now to come out eventually, eventually with the solutions, which you won't like initially, but you'll, you, you, you'll, you'll be kind of pleased in a way that something's going to be done. And because you don't see the, the, really the, where they're going with it, the full scope of it, you'll accept it. It won't be until 10 years down the road you'll say, my God, look at the mess we're in. That's worse than the last one. But, as I say, last night I was thinking about these things. It's an intentional stampede we're going through right now. Like it's chaos everywhere. My God, whoa. And it's, it's utter nonsense. You know, it's, it's all part of the plan. They cause the problems. You panic and demand answers, and they give you the solutions. It's all been written probably. They'll take down the solutions off dusty shelves and blow off the dust and present them at the right time. And I thought last night, you know, I can remember a few years ago, there was a plague of ladybirds in Ontario and up through parts of Canada. And they also eventually went down through the States as well, Pennsylvania area. And literally, you had millions of ladybugs all over the place. They were getting into your houses, and they'd get into your little cracks and so on. They were even coming out in the, the following winter. There were so many of them. I had opened up my telephone box outside one day to wonder why it wasn't working, and it was, there was thousands of them packed in there. And the difference with these bugs, too, is there were different kind of weird ones amongst them. There was some with no spots at all, and some were kind of yellow, and some would have, have a, a couple of dots, and other ones would have a bunch. And people eventually started complaining to the government about it. And on the CBC News, it came out that people had complained about this plague of ladybirds. And then it came out with a professor who said, this happens once in a while, you get swarmings off them, and so that was good enough for us, you know. And then, of course, the, 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 the woman on it say, oh, by the way, she says, uh, people have said these ones are actually biting them. They don't bite. No, that's all nonsense, yada, yada, yada. Well, people kept persisting about this because they were getting bitten. And uh, a month later, the, the, the government came out again. It was the government spokesman. See? Yeah, well, actually, yeah, the government has released millions of ladybugs. The Department of Agriculture had released them to kill the aphids, the little, tiny little insects on crops. But they see, when they released them, the crops had already been harvested about the month before. It was all over. So why would they release them then, you see? It made no sense. But again, I was thinking about that, and, I, and that's a habit I have. But anyway, what I did note, too, in the conversation, they said that, that the government uh, had bred billions of these things and they had underground facilities. And I thought, well, wait a minute. Uh, the Ministry of Agriculture 
as underground facilities. Why would the Ministry of Agriculture have underground facilities? Just like the military. You see, we're, we're living, we're, we're living in a, in a fake reality. We don't even know what's gone on. And how long it's been going on and where these things are and how many of them that they have. Why would the Minister of Agriculture have these things underground? And then they admitted to, yeah, some of these things were kind of modified and that reports of biting had occurred and blah, blah, and so on. So first a complete denial and then an admission a month later by the same government, you see. Now, it wasn't long after that the government came out with this medicinal marijuana, you see, which some people can get on prescription, apparently. And... They showed you this facility, all hydroponically and so on, underground again, you see. And this is where the government was growing it. Well, we didn't even know they were growing it or how long they've been growing that as well. How many other things did they have under the ground that we have no, not, no idea about? We really don't know what's going on. These things are never put out like most important things in where your money is being spent by the government. We don't mention any of these things. We're kept in the dark. And I'll bet you something else, too. If the Ministry of Agriculture have these underground facilities, I'll bet you anything they grow incredibly good food that's not soaked and pesticides, not GM modified, and not soaked as well from the rains from the aluminum oxide and barium that comes down from all the sky spraying that goes on as well. It makes perfect sense they grow it all underground for themselves, you know, the wealthy elites at the top. Here's an article here, and it's from Farm Wars. Chemtrails and Monsanto's new aluminum-resistant gene. Coincidence. It says, why did Monsanto develop an aluminum-resistant gene? Monsanto is currently marketing an aluminum-resistant gene. And here's a spin. Small-scale, resource-poor farmers in developing countries face daily stresses, including poor soils, drought, and lack of inputs. Ongoing trends such as climate change and population growth will likely exacerbate binding stresses. A new generation of genetically engineered crop research aims to alleviate these pressures through the improvement of subsistence crops. Subsistence crops, folks, such as cassava, uh, sorghum and millet that incorporate traits such as tolerance to drought water and aluminum in soils, as well as plants which with more efficient nitrogen and phosphorus use. He says, now let's take a look at journalist Michael Murphy's research into chemtrails, geoengineering, and the fact that extremely high levels of aluminum and barium are found in water, snow, and soil nowadays. And that is true. An area is shown to have heavy chemtrail patterns. And there's a video there, two or three parts, which folks should watch. There's quite a few videos out there, and there's more to come, actually. It says, coincidentally, Monsanto will come to the rescue with aluminum-resistant genes because normal plants were dying off in the presence of excess aluminum. Or opportunistic capitalism and planned corporate food monopoly courtesy of Monsanto and Hegelian dialectic based on insider information that a proposed geoengineering scheme is already in place that is filling our atmosphere with chemtrails containing aluminum and barium. This is no game, folks. We've been hit from all sides with a planned homicidal, genocidal agenda to make a very few families even richer than they already are and reduce the world's population down to about 500 million. And that's really what's been said umpteen times at the big meetings, folks. It's true enough. That's set forth in the Georgia Guidestones. It's nothing short of biological warfare. 
might, that might sound far-fetched to some people, but it's not far-fetched at all. You have to go into who said what, you see. The big statements about reducing the world's population, who they work for, the kind of incomes they get and from what sources, and the power they wield. And then you see it's not so far-fetched after all. And you see, we also have this idea, you see, that, that the parasites always need all of us. No, they don't always need all of us, folks. We're awfully good where we're coming through an, an industrial era. We fill the, the, the factories for them in the assembly lines and boring, boring, monotonous, dirty and dangerous jobs. We supply the armies for them to go off and conquer and standardize the planet for them. But there comes a time when they don't need all of us, you see. And they've already thought about that. So they don't sit back and say, I wonder what will, what will happen when there's just too many of the peasants, you know. No, they plan the future. That's what you always do in, in big, big business. You plan the future. It's called a business strategy. And the world is just one giant business plan. Using left and right paradigms to get to the end goal. That's what it, how it works. It's quite simple. And the left comes in and they, they nationalize everything and they take over all the big projects. What they actually do is use the taxpayers' money to refurbish all the, the main institutions and things that you need, like gas works and, and roadways and yada, yada, yada. And then in comes the right, the right wing after that and they sell it off for peanuts to the, the guys who are planning to get it in the first place. Private, public. That's how it works. And the bankers laugh all the way to their banks. But, mind you, They've already planned a future, as I say. They can probably clone people very shortly. And if they can't do it already, and I believe they do, because whatever is released on the news is, is at least 50, 100 years behind the times when it comes to sciences, and I'm not kidding about that. And I'm sure they can really bring in the perfect slaves to serve them very, very well. You see, money really is a technique and a con game that we must believe in. And we must be made to use so that we can work for them and supply them with their comforts and their status and their research and development workers and laboratories and all the rest of it that brings out new techniques to manage and control us. What do you think that all the stuff that's getting used today on the general public that you know about, which is nothing to compare to what they do have with monitoring and listening and all the rest of it, that all came out of the research and development paid for by your tax money, given to universities and so on, who came up with the ideas and then patented for the big boy companies to own. That's where all, all these devices came from, the Cold War. War is great for research and development and grabbing the loot from the taxpayers. And we work for it. And they can hire scientists who get paid money, 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 money. It's only important that we believe in it, you see. And whatever it happens to be, blips on a screen, whatever. It's all a joke. Remember the first, the first bailout part one for the U.S., I think it was 700, it was a million or billion dollars. And when the woman from the Treasury came on to say, well, why do you pick that figure? She says, well, she says, well, nothing to base it on. We just wanted a really big number. And that's good enough for us, isn't it? Just wanted a really good big number. Well, where's the science behind that? When there's no facts to back anything up, she had no facts to go. She said that. They had no idea how much they wanted or needed, supposedly. And this is what we call government and governance. Really? Wow. 
Can you imagine, the government's now got everybody into austerity. In, in Europe, they're all signing agreements to, to go into economic, joint economic governance. And austerity, they're all saying austerity pledges for the public. Now the public's got, got all this debt stuck on them. And they're throwing more money in the black hole supposedly to stop the crash. Supposedly the more th- money they throw in, eventually investors will get more confidence and start investing in. So this is the, this is, what is the, this is the racket they're telling us. But what are they actually borrowing? And who, who are they borrowing it from? Billions and billions of euro. Who, who are they borrowing it from? We're told it's the big international banking families they're borrowing it from. Yet nothing is just changed. There's no ships bringing gold or anything tangible across any waters or, or along railway lines to dump in someone's deposit box. It's all blips on a screen. It's nonsense. And this is what they call economics. And they're telling us we've got to just adjust to it and accept it. And we're going to have lean years ahead and to get leaner and leaner and leaner. Because now it's time to pay the piper. And everyone goes along with it. And it's an article here. It's from the uh, the EU Observer, and it says the, the EU holds first meeting on joint economic governance. See, that was one of their planks of amalgamation. You need the crisis, set up the crisis, and then you amalgamate into the next plank or their manifesto. And Brussels, where their big parliament is, the central parliament uh, that governs over all of them, and they rule them uh, in a non-democratic way. It's not democratic at all. Uh, that's the new Moscow for the for the European bloc, folks. The new, the new uh, Sovietized bloc, the new Sovietism, it's like a capitalist flavor to it. So the EU holds its first meeting on joint economic governance, and it says that um, the EU finance ministers and treasury officials are gathering in Brussels on Friday, that was May the 21st, to debate tighter coordination of fiscal policy in the wake of the Greek debt crisis. The EU Council President Herman Van Rompuy has to chair the meeting of the Special Task Force, which will present a preliminary report in time for the regular EU summit on 17th of June, in a paper that may suggest changes. See how they do it? Suggest changes to the EU treaty. Well, when you read through the article, it's, it's total integration where the Central Bank of Europe, you see, that's owned by the same international bankers now, the central bank now will have the right to go over all their books and manage all their books of the nations rather than the nations doing it themselves. This is a takeover, folks. It's a takeover. It's a business takeover. That's what the EU is. A big business takeover. Step at a time. Total integration. But all people see in the middle of it is their panic and fear as prices go up. And, and they get riddled every day with the debt crisis, the massive debt, etc. Or can they stop this big black hole? Can they fill it up so that people will start buying our debt again? No kidding. No kidding. Now, as I say, the stampeding technique is wonderful as the big boys make all their moves across the world in a hundred different ways you'll never even hear about. Well, Coordinated strikes and management and takeovers and 
manipulations of whole countries and continents. That's going on right now. And you'll always see it too. They always know when their, their propaganda's working, when the fringe groups start acting up. They're the first to go. The ones who are neurotic and obsessive and so on are the first to show signs that the excessive propaganda is having an effect. Now, I read a while back about a couple who killed themselves and their child because they're petrified of global warming coming. What has the future got to hold? It's going to be awful and barren and, and sand, all sand like a desert. And they killed themselves. See, that's the fringe group. That shows you it's, it's getting through to the state of neurosis. And this article here, it said, global warming fears seen in obsessive compulsive disorder patients. So it's really working. See, they, they, they take note of these things and it's really working. That was the 6th of May on Voxy News engine, Voxy News. It says, the Royal Australia and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists Congress at Sky City Convention Centre in Auckland brings together mental health experts in a defence range of areas from children and adolescents to old age mental health and so on. Here's some highlights. Global warming fears seen in obsessive compulsive disorder patients. Recent studies found that global warming has impacted the nature of symptoms experienced by obsessive compulsive disorder patients. Climate change-related obsessions and or compulsions were identified in 28% of patients presenting with obsessive-compulsive disorder. See, whatever the latest horror is, is is what their their obsession goes into. And it literally wrecks their lives. They can't work for it. They can't can't work. They can't get... I can't do anything. It, It literally stalls them where they are. Their obsessions include leaving taps on and wasting water. They go crazy. They blow up. You know, they might even get homicidal if someone does. Leaving lights on and wasting electricity. Pets dying of thirst. Leaving the stove on and wasting gas as well as obsessions that global warming has contributed to house floors cracking, etc. Pipes leaking and so on and so on. Back with more after this. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, just going through how propaganda, repetition of fear and terror and horror and nonsense, actually, it really works. But it shows first in obsessional and neurotic type characters. And the the ones at the top observe all this stuff. It means it's really working because eventually that will filter into general society. And you couple that with indoctrination of children at school and who are going to grow up in this amazing uh, socialist utopia, totally controlled from birth to grave. And you can imagine how they're going to be. But the ones right now are becoming mentally ill with it, you see. And if they see ants, they think, oh, my God, they're going to eat all the houses do global warming. Well, ants are always here, folks. They've been always been, millions of years have been here, folks. Yeah. But it says, compulsions in response to these obsessions include the checking of taps, light switches, pet water bowls, and house structures. Media coverage about the possible catastrophic consequences to our planet concerning the farce of global warming, I put farce in there because it should be added, by the way, is extensive and potentially anxiety-provoking. We found that many obsessive-compulsive disorder patients were concerned about reducing their global footprint, said study author Dr. Merwin Jones. The proportion, and it goes on to obese people too and all the rest of it, because everyone's been modified through what they're eating all these modified oils and all the rest of it that's supposed to be so healthy for you, uh, rather than butter and, and uh, animal fats, you see. Uh, the body stores it as fat, but it can't break it down once it's on. It's a good article, too, or follow on from this one 
on the obsessive-compulsive disorder patients. They know how to manipulate us all. Every generation gets worked on in turn for what's to come. And they're always starting with the school children. Whatever you want to know what's to happen in 20 years' time, you go into kindergarten books now and see what they're teaching them. That'll tell you what you're going to see down the road in 20 years. You'll be taught what kind of society is going to exist in 20 years' time. And, and what normal relationships will be in those days and all the rest of it. That's how they start. It's a scientifically designed, structured society that you're already in. Your reality was programmed into you just as carefully as the children who are going into school now are getting theirs for the next 20, 30 years or so. Of course, most out there will say, no, 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 I'm in charge of myself. I'm my own person. That's what you will think. Are you really? Are you really? If you were to take most of the things that your, your, your beliefs are and premises, that all that they're based on, and really dissect them and say, where did I get that idea? Where did I get that opinion? And again, if you're a very sociable character, you'll say, why am I becoming politically correct? And go along with, just so that I won't stand out in a crowd or in a conversation with people when I disagree about a particular topic or something. You compromise yourself. You don't realize you train yourself by compromising to be accepted by others. And you're constantly given new lists of what's politically correct. And there's always new victims to accept as victims, you see. And, of course, the victims are used to change societies for more and more and more and more control over you and everyone else by government agencies. To be your own person, don't be scared at any time, anywhere, to say what you think on any particular topic. If you're inhibited, somebody's got to you. Or you've got a fear of something, a fear of the law, retribution, whatever. When you can't say what you think and know, your society is over. Over. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your gods go with you.